You're Within the Norms, the blog that explores boundaries of medical science and law. Reported by youairwithinthenorms.com Norman J. Clement RPH, DDS, Norman L. Clement Farm Tech, Malachi F. McCandle Farm D, Belinda Brown Parker, in the spirit of Joseph Salvo Esquire Incorporated. T. Spirit of Rev. In the spirit of Walter R. Clement B.S., M.S., M.B.A., Harvey Jenkins M.D., Ph.D., in the spirit of C.T. Vivian, D.R., Karen Sasaki, M.D. Leslie Pompey M.D., Christopher Russo, M.D., Nancy Seafelt, Willie Gignard B.S., Joseph Webster M.D., M.B.A., Beverly C. Prince M.D., Fax, Neil Arnand, M.D., Richard Call, M.D., Leroy Baylor, J.K. Joshi M.D., M.B.A., Jelani Zimbabwe Clement, B.S., M.B.A., in the spirit of the Han. Patrice Lumumba, in the spirit of Erlen Clement S.R., Walter F. Wren III, M.D., Julie Killingsworth, Renee Blair, R.P.H., Adrienne Edmondson, Esther Hyatt Ph.D., Walter L. Smith B.S., in the spirit of Brom Fisher Esquire, Michelle Alexander M.D., Kudjo Wilding B.S., Martin Njoku, B.S., R.P.H., in the spirit of Deborah Lynn Shepard, Barris E. Muchet, Strategic Advisors. By Paul H. Volkman, M.D., Ph.D. U.S. Federal Inmate, 19,519,424. A Summary of My Experience with the Federal Justice System and My Federal Case. Paul Volkman, M.D., Ph.D., Volkman, is unequivocally innocent. Volkman is an accomplished, experienced, competent physician working in a rural, underserved area who was trying to help manage his patient's pain. A two-part series from Dr. Paul Volkman, M.D., Ph.D., see Part 1, here. M.D., The University of Chicago, 1974. Ph.D., Pharmacology and Toxicology, The University of Chicago, Medical Scientist Training Program, 1972. Fellowship, Cardiovascular Pharmacology, Professor Leon Goldberg, The University of Chicago, 1975-77. Board Certified, American Academy of Pediatrics, 1981. 1992. Board Certified, American Academy of Emergency Medicine, 1983-1994. Board Certified, American Academy of Medical Pain Management, 2004. Expert Testimony, Medical Malpractice Lawsuits, 1985-2000. Clinical Practice, Emergency Medicine, Family Practice, Pediatrics, Pain Management, 1975-2006. Criminalization of Pain Care and Doctors in America, American Agony by Helen Bopperl RN, PhD Challenges DEA DOJ Targeting of Patients Being Treated for Pain. The Story of Paul H. Volkman, MD, PhD. During the lawsuit-ridden practice of emergency medicine from 1975 to 2004, I was attacked by four starving attorney lawsuits, all baseless, but all leading to the insurance providers settling the cases out of court to save money, without any admission of wrongdoing or malpractice on my part. In 2004, I was notified by some insurance group that I would no longer be able to purchase malpractice insurance for emergency medicine work. I was then forced to seek employment as a doctor in a venue where such coverage was not absolutely required. I accepted a job in a pain management clinic in Southern Ohio, Tri-State Healthcare, run by a local businesswoman, Denise Huffman. I had investigated the situation and the personnel and satisfied myself that the clinic was not some pill mill, nor would it be under my practice. I made clear my requirements to see patients in the Tri-State Clinic. 
one complete medical records from previous treating doctors, documenting the legitimate need for treatment of chronic, severe pain with opioids. 2. Strict compliance with follow-up appointments, urine drug tests, pill counts, and taking of medications as prescribed, without taking of anything additional, legal or otherwise. 3. All patients would be required to buy a small safe from Walmart bolted to their floor, in which to store pain medications. 4. No early appointments, no missed appointments, no reporting that meds had been stolen. 5. Agreement to take prescribed doses in the clinic under the observation of the nurses. 6. Any patients who fail to comply with any of these rules will be dismissed without the possibility of returning. Portsmouth was a desperately poor, rusted-out shoe manufacturing town, with a Walmart and a Kroger's, a Bob Evans, a few fast-food outlets, many car mechanic shops, and little else. As everywhere in Appalachia, there was, and is, a brisk market for prescription pain medications. As a result, I spent much of my efforts attempting to determine which of my patients might be diverting their pills to the street. The drug dealers and pill diverters networked with each other to defeat all efforts to detect diversion. When a patient was called in for a random pill count, he or she contacted a friend to loan them the pills they needed to pass the pill count. When I instituted the in-office pain medication dosing, those not taking their prescriptions as ordered or at all knew that they would not be able to take the prescribed doses without passing out, one half of my patients disappeared, hopefully leaving me with real pain patients who really needed and took their meds. These procedures were recommended by the American Academy of Pain Management and required by the Ohio Intractable Pain Treatment Act of 1998. I also added the in-office dosing to my regimen. The DEA has acted as an unregulated medical agency policing medical facilities and medical practices without legal standards and grounds, and the DEA Administration Court System body, which operates within the Department of Justice, DOJ, as a runaway unconstitutionally entity and immune to all laws of governance to all courts within the justice system. The DEA is an unregulated criminal enterprise of the United States government that has destroyed the America healthcare system. As soon as I began work at Tri-State, the DEA immediately assumed that I was there to continue the pill mill practices of others. At a later DEA administrative hearing after my DEA certificate had been revoked, a DEA agent revealed that they had paid visits to all of the area pharmacists to tell them not to fill any of my prescriptions, on pain of losing their licenses and jailed. Within a few weeks, my patients reported traveling to Cincinnati or Columbus to fill my prescriptions. I was denied bail as a flight risk, as a Jew, I was assumed to be an Israeli citizen. This was untrue. I then decided to institute a dispensary in the clinic to provide the medicines I prescribed to my established patients, legal under Ohio law, as long as I was present in the clinic. It was either that or quitting providing needed medical care. Almost immediately, the DEA sent waves of undercover agents to Tri-State to make controlled buys, but my nurses spotted them and sent them all away empty-handed despite their handfuls of cash. Next, agents were sent in with fake medical records, they were all sent away until the supposed treating doctors verified the records and the patients. They set up surveillance to document the expected hundreds of customers from surrounding states daily, only 20 to 25 patients arrived daily. At trial, the agent lied, saying that hundreds milled about in front of the clinic, he had to admit that the hundreds were actually at a soup kitchen across the street. The prosecutor, Tim Oakley, later obtained a search warrant based on a wired visit of one James Russell who had been caught selling pills. The agent in charge AIC lied about my conduct during the visit, apparent in a recording transcript, but the judge refused to suppress the search. The DEA found a gun in the medication safe, registered to Huffman, and used for protection in a crime-ridden town, but did not confiscate it and did not close the clinic then.
Oakley obtained an indictment against me by threatening former patients with jail if they did not tell the grand jury that they had lied to me to obtain more pain pills than they really needed to get extras to sell. 14 former patients told that exact story at trial. Barry Hauser in open testimony at trial pointed to Oakley and testified that Oakley had threatened to put him and his wife in jail if they did not go along with the tale. My 36-page indictment charged me with 18 deaths, conspiracy to illegally distribute controlled substances, resulting in death, maintaining drug-related premises, and using a firearm in furtherance of a drug trafficking offense. The indictment was filled with false allegations and unsubstantiated, false hearsay, none of it ever proven, most of it never the subject of court testimony. In January of 2006, the United States Supreme Court, SCOTUS, decided Gonzalez v. Oregon, 546 U.S. 243, which concerned an interpretative order issued by A.G. Ashcroft, which stated that any physician who employed controlled substances in accord with Oregon's death with dignity law for assisted suicide, would lose his license and face jail if he did so. The United States Supreme Court, SCOTUS, held that the AG did not have the expertise or authority to declare any area of medical practice sanctioned by valid state law to be illegal. In fact, the Soctus noted and affirmed that Section 903 of the Controlled Substances Act, 21 U.S.C. 801 FF, stated that the CSA did not supersede or overrule any such valid state law for the medical use of controlled substances. When I read that case, I was thrilled. The SCOTUS holdings of Oregon appeared to mean that, as long as I carefully followed the Ohio Intractable Pain Treatment Act, I was protected from federal prosecution for violating 841A, as actually stated in the text of the Ohio law. Two weeks later, the DEA SWAT team, complete with helicopters and local law enforcement, closed down my office, which I had set up in Chillicothe, Ohio, after parting ways from Denise at Tri-State. She had stopped paying me my salary. In Jan of 2007, I unsuccessfully contested the revocation of my DEA certificate at a court hearing. In May of 2007, I was at home in my Chicago Lakeshore Drive apartment caring for my wife Nancy, who was dying from a malignant brain tumor. Fifteen machine gun-toting DEA agents swarmed into my apartment and dragged me away in chains and shackles. I was denied bail as a flight risk, as a Jew, I was assumed to be an Israeli citizen. This was untrue. After about six months of pretrial detention, I was released to home confinement to take my dying wife to her hospital for radiation treatments. At her funeral, I expected the SWAT team to appear to drag me away from the gravesite ceremony. A few days later, I collapsed with a blood sugar of 650 and was in the hospital for eight days. While the war on drugs may have sounded like a good idea at one time, the consequences have been catastrophic. From physicians persecuted for providing health care to their patients to parents grieving the loss of their children to overdose or prison, we've all become victims of this war. The government finally provided a hard drive with the discovery in June of 2009 containing my former patient's medical charts and prescription records. I was assigned two CJA court-appointed lawyers, whose job was to convince me to plead guilty and walk me into prison for the rest of my life. After neither one would respond to phone calls, emails, or letters. Donate legal defense. Or send. $100, $250, $500. To Zell 3135103378. Or. Cash app colon dollar doc norm. I demanded new counsel. This led to a hearing at which Chief District Judge Lott put handcuffs on me and told me that if I did not cooperate with my outstanding court-appointed counsel, she would revoke my PR bond and send marshals to put me in jail again, giving me a choice between ineffective counsel, no counsel, or jail. My lawyers are neither prepared nor presented with any defense. When we finally met, 
I told Wendy Crystal Cross that my case was one of the hundreds of prosecutions of pain management physicians, part of an ongoing assault on pain patients and their doctors, considered drug-addicted customers and their drug purveyors, by the government. See Ronald T. Libby, The Government's War on Pain Doctors, Cato Institute, 2005, Wendy's angry response, we are not going to put the government on trial. Turns out that Cross had married Marvin Cross, a convicted drug dealer who drove around Cincinnati in a red Maserati. She had also worked as an OSA in a cubicle next to Prosecutor Oakley for 10 years. Cross drove a Porsche SUV, lived in a beautiful stone house, and appeared in court in a different new outfit each day of the nine-week trial. I believe that my attorney was corrupt and colluding with the prosecution. At trial, I presented Hal Blattman, MD, a Cincinnati pain doctor and board member of the American Academy of Pain Management, who testified that I had followed every requirement of federal law and of the Ohio Intractable Pain Treatment Act. He stated I had provided my patients with outstanding pain management and general medical care. Dr. Forrest Tennant, MD, DRPH, is an internist and addictionologist who has spent his medical career researching and treating intractable pain. He managed the Veract Intractable Pain Clinics in West Covina, California, from 1975, originally focused on cancer pain and post-polio disease, to 2018. Dr. Tennant served as the Editor-in-Chief of Practical Pain Management from 2007 through 2017 and continues to hold an emeritus honor on the editorial board. He leads the Tennant Foundation and its arachnoiditis research and education project today. Dr. Tennant is a member of the American Academy of Pain Medicine, the Academy of Integrative Pain Management, the American Pain Society, and the American Society of Addiction Medicine. He has authored over 300 scientific articles and books. Also testifying on my behalf, Dr. Forrest Tennant, MD, was the eminence grease of medical pain management, who had defended Howard Hughes' pain doctor, and later Elvis Presley's doctor. Tennant published serum opiate levels in severe, chronic pain patients, demonstrating that the serum opiate levels in his well-functioning pain patients were more than double the supposedly lethal levels published in Baselt, the government manual used to determine overdose deaths. Tennant testified that he had employed the same combinations of medicines as I had used, I had followed his published recommendations, which were quite safe if taken as prescribed, and without alcohol. Tennant testified that many of his severe pain patients were quite ill and that many would die under his care from their chronic conditions. Harry Bunnell, MD, nationally noted forensic pathologist and toxicologist, testified that, according to the work of Dr. Tennant, none of my patients had died from an overdose of medications I had prescribed. Despite the testimony of my outstanding medical experts, the jury chose to believe the three government stooges, paid to come to court and lie, whose junk science testimony I had not been given the required opportunity to contest at a pretrial Daubert hearing. In pretrial, the judge agreed with a cross motion that the indictment would not be provided to the jury for deliberations. As the jury was filing out to deliberate, the judge handed the indictment to the foreman without objection by cross. At the jury instruction conference, I requested a jury instruction has taken verbatim from the holdings of Oregon. To find the defendant physician guilty of violating the Controlled Substances Act, you must determine that the government has proven beyond a reasonable doubt that he has utilized his prescription writing powers to engage in illicit drug dealing and trafficking as conventionally understood. The judge rejected the instruction and added, there has been no testimony of personal profit per se. In other words, no evidence was presented of drugs for money. 3 United States Supreme Court SCOTUS, cases have held that no conviction of a violation of the CSA is possible absent drugs for money or some sort of commercial transaction, Lopez, 2006, Karashuri Rosendo, 2011, Moncrief, 2013. The case should have ended when the judge uttered those words on a Rule 29 motion for acquittal, my counsel did nothing. 
I was convicted of four deaths and 14 other felonies and handed four consecutive life sentences and 60 months for 924C, the firearm offense. Council for Racial Justice founder Christina Palin. In 2014, the SCOTUS remanded my case to the Sixth Circuit for further consideration in light of Barrage, in which the SCOTUS held that, for enhanced sentences to be imposed for 841B, 1C, illegal distribution of controlled substances resulting in death, the government must prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the drug cited in the indictment, in my case oxycodone, was the but-for, or standalone cause of death. However, the government stooges had all testified that all of the deaths of my former patients had been multi-drug overdose deaths, clearly not solely attributed to oxycodone alone. Undeterred, the Sixth Circuit panel twisted the holdings of Barrage to mean that, but for really meant contributory to and reimposed all of the sentences unchanged. I appealed the ruling of the Sixth Circuit back to the SCOTUS, certiorari was denied. I filed a 2,255 motion claiming 11 constitutional violations from the proceedings. The judge denied the motion in one sentence. The court agrees with the government's argument. Accordingly, the 2,255 motion is denied. I appealed the denial to the Sixth Circuit, which denied a certificate of appealability. I appealed that denial to SCOTUS, which refused certiorari. After 12 years in federal penitentiaries, there is now a ray of sunshine. On June 27, 2022, the Soctus decided the cases of Drs. Ruan and Khan ruled that the jury instruction was improper and vacated the convictions. The jury instruction now required the government to prove criminal intent or mens rea, i.e., that the doctors had intended to violate the CSA, prescribing controlled substances beyond their authorization and without a legitimate medical purpose. This jury instruction is, in fact, the one that my judge rejected and in fact, specifically referenced in the Tenth Circuit holding of Khan. Hual H. Volkman M.D., Ph.D. In politics and economics, a Potemkin village is any construction, literal or figurative, whose sole purpose is to provide an external facade to a country that is faring poorly, making people believe that the country is faring better. The term comes from stories of a fake portable village built by Gregory Potemkin, former lover of Empress Catherine II, solely to impress the Empress during her journey to Crimea in 1787. It is clear that Ruan and Khan 9-0 now overturn my case, yet I am still sitting in a federal penitentiary. I have no record attorney and no money to hire one. Please forward the previous email to this list of lawmakers and any comments you wish to add. For now, you are within. Founder Doctors of Courage Linda Cheek speaks candidly on DEA targeting and intimidation and why she fought back. The norms. Donate legal defense. Or send. $100, $250, $500. To Zell 3135103378. Or. Cash app colon dollar doc norm. References. Lawhern PhD Opioid Pain Management.